Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode number 81 of Thyroid Nation Radio Live, talk show, and podcast. I'm Dana Bowman, founder of ThyroidNation.com. And I'm Tiffany Milanich of GratefulGarden.biz. Obviously, we're in rare form this morning. I'm shushing my family. I'm shushing my family because everybody's home for Thanksgiving, and I'm trying to do my show. And they're cleaning and making noise. And I'm like, shh, sorry, okay, everybody's like, being quiet. <laughs> oh, I'm making sound gosh. effects for the show. Okay, <laughs> today we are talking with the fabulous Dr. David Brady about the relationship between thyroid, uh, your thyroid and fibromyalgia, and basically about just about fibromyalgia and um, a little bit of gut. I'm kind of going to get it all. This is going to be a good one. Okay, if you have missed any of the Thyroid Nation Radio podcasts, of course you can easily down listen, <laughs> download and listen to them at your leisure on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, Blog Talk Radio. I mean, just just anywhere and, and anytime. So if you're driving in the car, that's one of my favorite times to to re-listen to the shows is when I'm on on drives. I know, right? <laughs> Okay, so Dr. David Brady, David M. Brady, has over 25 years of experience as an integrative practitioner and ap- academic, which is uh, 25 years. That's pretty neat. That's a long time, right? He is a licensed naturopathic medical physician in Connecticut and Vermont and a board-certified clinical nutritionist. Dr. Brady is also a prolific author of medical papers and research articles on fibromyalgia and has a dedicated has dedicated a large part of his professional career to helping people recover from this mysterious disorder. I know so many people that have this. He currently serves mm-hmm. as vice provost for the uh, Division of Health Sciences, director of the Human Nutrition Institute, and associate professor of clinical sciences at the University of Bridgeport in Connecticut. He maintains a private practice, whole body medicine, in Fairfield, Connecticut, and is also the chief medical officer for Designs for Health, Incorporated Diagnostics uh, Solutions Labs, LLC, which uh, I've heard of both, so that's cool. He is an internationally sought-after presenter on nutritional, functional, and integrative medicine and has appeared on the speaking panel of the largest and most prestigious conferences in the field. Dr. Brady is a highly dedicated champion and advocate for patients suffering with a fibromyalgia diagnosis, and he is the author of the book Fibro Fix from Rodale, Inc., and host of the extremely popular and informative online summit, Fibro Fix Summit. So... He's got lots and lots of information for us to share with our listeners who are suffering with fibromyalgia, so let's get after it. With no further ado, it looks like he is already with us, so let's get this thyroid nation thriving. Good morning, Dr. Brady. Can you hear us okay? Yeah, can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. Fabulous. Great. Awesome. Great to be with you guys. How are you this morning? I'm good. I'm actually driving in my car. You said you love to listen to these while you drive in your car. Well, I'm talking <laughs> on one driving in my car. Get to uh, to uh, chat with our state legislature on some health care issues. So, oh, very cool. Well, that's a fabulous thing. Yeah. Yeah. We are What's behind you like? all the way. Good. Yes. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Connecticut, are you pretty cold up there right now? just got cold on Sunday for the first time, and uh, it's not terribly cold, but it's cold enough up in Vermont, pretty close, and that's where we're heading for the holidays, and we might even get some early skiing in, so that's cool. Oh, that is cool. Well, very oh, good. so cool, and my, one of our favorite movies is White Christmas, and I don't know if you've seen it or not, but um, they, you know, talk, it's set in Vermont, and um, so every time, oh, yeah. you know, someone says Vermont, I say it like they say it in the movies, Vermont. And there's so much snow this time of year. Snow, 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 right? I mean, I can't help it. So every time I think of Vermont, I'm like, I picture this, you know, pretend scene on the set of White Christmas. So that's what I, that's what I think you're doing for Christmas and the holidays. Well, let's hope we have that this year up there because last year we didn't get much snow. Uh, so it wasn't a good uh, ski season, but um, we're hoping for a good one this year. So. Oh, wow. Well, good. Well, let's get right into it because that. Uh, you got some important things on your plate today. 
sure. we will um, let you go just in time before you pop in to do your important work. Okay, Tiff, we want to know a little bit about your story, how about you, you? kind of got to where you are, and yeah, about you a little bit. Oh, boy, that's uh, that's a whole show. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, um, you know, I really started off in a very different field. I was a musician. I was a touring uh, professional musician. Um, and then I found my way into engineering, electronics engineering, worked for McDonnell Douglas, the big aerospace company, um, and was working on systems that we eventually used for biomedical applications. And I was on the team that designed the first artificial wrist implant at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York City, and that got me into healthcare. And a long, convoluted road, I originally wanted really good biomechanical training, so I trained as a chiropractor first in physical medicine. So that got me my first experience in dealing with patients, actually, with fibromyalgia. Um, and then, you know, my mentors there were really tremendous interventional nutritionists, botanical medicine experts, and I sort of found this passion for functional and integrative medicine from an internal medicine standpoint. Got a graduate degree in nutrition, and I went to medical school and uh, specialized more in naturopathic, integrative, or functional medicine, um, and I've spent a couple decades doing that, seeing patients, but also being involved in, uh, in health science education, in research, and in, uh, in writing and publishing. Holy well, moly. Let, let, let's just, I know, right? Let's just dive right in. What gave you the passion to delve into fibromyalgia specifically? Was there anything that happened that, uh, that helped, uh, you know, prompt yeah. that? Yeah. Um, I, I got out of chiropractic school first and then started seeing patients and, I started confronting these patients who said they had fibromyalgia or they heard about fibromyalgia, they think they may have it. And there was a, definitely a segment of them that had a very, very complicated scenario going on. And it was one that I was definitely not prepared for. I, I wasn't trained adequately on it. I realized that very quickly. What I had been taught about this thing called fibromyalgia was not much. What I was taught was wrong. Um, and it was all often talked about in all medical specialties at the time with a little bit of a doubt or a condescension about the disorder, but I realized very quickly these people really had serious problems. Nobody was addressing them. I didn't know what to do for them, but my colleagues also didn't know what to do for them, and I felt that they were extremely underserved, um, and they were really being almost abused by the medical system uh, in many ways that we can get into. But um, I decided I was going to have to make myself an expert on this if I really wanted to help these people. And I did that. And I found another colleague of mine, a friend, uh, Dr. Michael Schneider, who's now a, a NSF NIH funded researcher uh, in this field at the University of Pittsburgh. But at the time he was in private practice like I was, and we became sort of kindred spirits and went out together and became experts on fibromyalgia by reaching out to the world authorities in it, by reading everything out there in the medical literature, every book, every journal article, uh, and then actually starting to publish and do our own research in it, and then seeing just lots of patients uh, with it over about 20-some years. And with my different backgrounds, first in physical medicine and then in in more naturopathic functional medicine and clinical nutrition, but also my brown in engineering from a system standpoint, I think gave me a unique perspective on being able to look at this disorder that's a very complicated thing from a multitude of perspectives that it's, that's almost required to be able to adequately um, tackle it with patients. So let's let's dive into because I think fibromyalgia is kind of like this big pool of confusion. I hate to say that, but what is fibromyalgia specifically? Well, I mean, your description what? your dis, your description's accurate uh, to say it mildly. Um, fibromyalgia has become this unwieldy diagnosis that's poorly understood. It's way overgiven. Um, there's a 
significant error toward overdiagnosis because, quite frankly, there's a lot of different things that can cause people to be achy, tired, have poor cognitive function, have vague gastrointestinal problems. And sure. if, if those things occur, particularly in a, in a woman, particularly in a middle-aged woman, particularly if she sees a male physician, she will almost <laughs> undoubtedly get diagnosed as having fibromyalgia when the vast majority of times she does not. She has problems, definite problems, but they're not being adequately identified. And the doctor is being lazy um, and is not parsing through all of the things that could be uh, and not ruling out relatively easily treated if you determine what they are and instead just lazily given this diagnosis of fibromyalgia. While on the other hand, there really is this central pain processing, very complex disorder that the researchers are actually referring to when they use the term fibromyalgia. Um, That's a very real condition that can be identified and can be treated, but oftentimes patients don't get the right treatment for the problem they actually have because they're not getting diagnosed accurately. And, you know, the first thing you learn in medical school is, uh, you know, proper diagnosis is half the cure. So you have a lot of people being thrown this this label uh, and nowadays being put on, you know, one of the three FDA-approved drugs for fibromyalgia, which are not drugs that were ever developed from the ground up for fibromyalgia, even if you have it. They're simply repurposed, renamed, retread drugs, if you will, that are either an antidepressant or an anti-epileptic uh, right. medication, both, both of which classes are hard drugs to take. They have lots of side effects. And even if you have fibromyalgia, the data is pretty clear. They really don't work very well. Well, and I just have to laugh really quick and insert this. I think I mentioned it before, but you said lots of side effects. And, I mean, I think we are so desensitized because the only commercials that I guess <laughs> the people can afford, the only people that can afford commercials during the NFL games are like car dealerships and pharmaceuticals. And every time something comes on, they have like they have like a long list of side effects, and people are just so like desensitized to that. I guess you know it's, it's frustrating because they, I guess they do kind of want a pill because they're looking for you know relief. And and as you said, you know these these uh, medications and prescriptions weren't really designed for for the fibromyalgia purpose from the ground up. Well, it's interesting that um, the human mind does pretty amazing things and the pharmaceutical companies know it. They have to put all that laundry list of side effects to cover their, you know, bases legally and yeah. to meet the regulatory requirements of, of uh, pharmaceutical advertising. But they understand that the person, particularly the person who's desperate or the person who's seeking some benefit from the medication, will latch on emotionally to the perceived positive benefit, and they'll tend to ignore the laundry list of side effects that were just talked about. And they understand that. And, you know, ironically enough, it was probably within the last couple of months or so, I was watching television. And I saw one of these commercials you're talking about, which we all do constantly for a medication. And it was a medication actually for bladder incontinence. And one of the side effects they listed was loss of bladder control. And uh, I'm saying to myself, <laughs> I thought that's what the drug was supposed to fix, right? I mean, that's how absurd right. it can get. Um, and I'm not, let me just say, I'm not anti-drug. I'm not anti-medication. I would no. not want to live in a world without them. But our medical system has devolved into the point of it's either a drug or a surgery or nothing um, in conventional approaches. And that's really sad because there's so much more that can be done, particularly for these chronic complex disorders where the answer is not just a drug and it's not just a surgical procedure. So we really need to get beyond that. And that's one of the reasons I've published a lot in the medical literature in journals and textbooks and so forth, but that's, really why eventually the story right to the streets, if you will, right to the people who have the problem when I wrote the fibro fix to let them know what are really all of the options out there. What are, you know, what are the pathways to actually recovering? How to, how to be your best self-advocate and navigate through this healthcare system that doesn't really 
you know, treat these patients very effectively and doesn't really treat them very well. Um, so that was at least the, uh, the idea behind it. Okay, well, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get this in today, but I have to now that that door was kind of open. So we can definitely, <laughs> you have to guide me back to, to, to fibromyalgia, but I have to say this. I have a friend that uh, our kids met. We met when our kids were babies at Gymboree, and um, she, I was messaging her, and she said, can you let my friend in your Hashi's group because she has, you know, Hashimoto's. And then we get to talking and, you know, chatting on, on Facebook, and I'm, how are you? I'm fine, you know. And I said, the only reason I added you also to the group is because, you know, thyroid disease and all these things are it's so widespread and not many people know about them. And, you know, your mom or your sister, you know, daughter could have this. So I wanted you to be in the group as well. And, and she said, thanks. You know, I have thyroid nodules. Um, but, you know, my tests always come back normal. So, I'm, you know, I'm fine. Um, but, you know, I am on Synthroid. You know, she's like, I'm fine, and then should we go on? And then finally she says, I'm on Synthroid. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, I, you, I didn't realize that. And she says, um, yeah, and so, you know, but I'm fine. And so I said, well, how do you feel? And she's like, I, how do you, what are your symptoms, you know? And she's like, well, I don't really know if I have any symptoms. I'm, you, know, I'm, you know, we're getting older, so I just, you know, assume that, you know, it's age. And I just, you know, I had this moment of, Oh, I'm so frustrated. This is this is so frustrating because we have been taught that you you know you get sick and you go to the doctor and they tell you what to do and you take a pill and and we're just conditioned that way. And so, really, you know, with with the fibromyalgia and the fibrofix and the thyroid connection and all these things that we're doing, I mean, it's like we have to like yell at the world and say you're going to have to start taking your health into your own hands and and reading these books and paying attention because it, it's you're not going to get well. I mean, she was well, kind of like, well, what do you mean? Going, you know? I mean, it was so frustrating. Well, the days of just going to your doctor and they see you for six minutes, they tell you to take this and you go home and you're fine, you know, they're, they're over uh, unless you have a very easy, very straightforward, acute medical condition, which the system was designed to deal with and, designed, and is designed to deal with it very well. But what's really plaguing our population right now is very complex chronic disease. And most of those are not amenable to that kind of easy uh, reductionist treatment. So it just doesn't work very well. And if you have one of those, the system just doesn't serve you unless you happen to get really, really lucky and find, you know, the, the right kind of doctor or healthcare provider. But that's not usually the case. So you have to learn everything you can about whatever you may be suffering from so that you can navigate the system effectively and that you can advocate for your own treatment because if you're waiting and or if you're delegating that to some deity in a white coat, you're probably not going to get treated very well. It's just a fact. And she was I, I, and I mentioned I said, well, you know, you have to learn, you know, you have to you have to learn so that you know what you're dealing with. And she said, I don't know what I need to learn. I don't know what I need to ask. I don't know I didn't know that there was something more I needed to understand. And I Right and yeah. well, and I so think we well, so many too. patients too. They, I think, so many patients too develop a new normal where they feel defeated and mm-hmm. they're not, mm-hmm. you know, they're not medically trained and and so they just they just kind of develop a new normal. Okay, so this is just well, they do maybe they life do. after right. forty or and that's so sad. Well, particularly in people with chronic diseases because they assume. Unfortunately, and this is a well-studied fact. It's called chronic disease mentality. They they assume this new norm, this and actually based on their diagnosis, they can assume sort of a new identity based on that diagnosis. And you know, when I did the FibroFix Summit, when I wrote the FibroFix, you know, I had mil- you know tons of people uh, saying how grateful they were that there's this information and and these ideas put forth for them and so forth. Well, yeah, I have to say there's also a segment of people that literally get very angry that you even suggest that they may recover, um, that there's actually light at the end of the tunnel because they're so far down the rabbit hole of their chronic disease and their diagnosis, and they're so bitter after so long of nobody helping them, they can't see the light anymore. And it's right. sad, but you really have to reach down and try to grab them because there is – 
recovery out there for these disorders, including if you really have classic fibromyalgia. It's not easy. Uh, you have to have a roadmap on how to get back, and that's what these resources are meant to provide. It's not quick, easy solutions. It's not a magic pill, uh, but there are pathways back. And you first have to start at the beginning and find out, do you really have what you think you have? Because it's, the research is very clear in something like fibromyalgia specifically. When doctors diagnose patients with fibromyalgia, and I'm talking about primary care physicians, internal medicine doctors, and even rheumatologists, when those patients who are diagnosed with it are then sent to a panel of experts who are generally rheumatologists with high-level training in fibromyalgia, they, in one large study by Fitzcharles, he showed that over 66% of those patients diagnosed by doctors as having fibromyalgia do not. They have other problems mm. that are not being adequately identified. So now, if you throw in all the other people who think or say they have fibromyalgia, not because they were diagnosed by a doctor, but because maybe they did their own web surfing and came to that conclusion because their neighbor said they thought they had it or whatever the reason right. is. The numbers are actually... And that happens a lot. <laughs> happens a lot. And that my, happens a lot. I see, I see a lot of patients from all over the country and world coming in with a fibromyalgia diagnosis, and virtually all of them have significant chronic health illness problems. But I would say that easily 75% of them do not have classic fibromyalgia in the formal sense that would really meet the diagnostic criteria if the doctor applied it and knew what they were doing. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that, Doc, if you don't mind. What are some things that mimic fibromyalgia that, that really need to be ruled out before fibromyalgia is considered? Can we, I know, can we get yep. like the, I know that this sure. is much more, it, complex, but let's get the brief answer of things okay. that people need to rule out first. Well, let's start at the beginning. In fibromyalgia, there are a couple things you need to have for it to even be considered. One is it needs to be chronic. It needs to be six months or more in duration. And generally, it's 95% or higher, it's, it's a woman, not a man, okay? It's basically a female central nervous system disorder. Um, you have to have pain or achiness that you perceive all over the body, not just in one or two or three places or one or two regions. You have to perceive the softer tissues, not the joints, but the softer tissues, the muscles, the compliant tissues. They have to be achy all over meaning left side, right side, above the waist, below the waist, along the midline, out in the periphery, everywhere. And you need to have a lot of the concomitant symptoms, like profound unrelenting fatigue, unrefreshed sleep. So you wake up feeling like you never slept, even if you slept 12 hours. You generally have vague gastrointestinal complaints, like bloating, gas, constipation, things such as that. Uh, and usually you have some level of at least mild depression and or anxiety, sometimes panic disorder, and oftentimes, very often, there is a history of significant stress or trauma, particularly during early life development, so in childhood. Alcoholic father, abusive parent, um, strife in the family, some, you know, God forbid, physical, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, things like that are way more common. That being said, there are many things that can cause someone, particularly as they approach middle age, to be tired, to, you know, uh, achy, not be able to think very well, all those things. So what are the most common things we need to rule out? The most common, what I call the three major masqueraders of fibromyalgia, and there's many more, but the three biggest ones, number one, ironically enough, but that's why we're on this call, is undiagnosed, underappreciated thyroid disorder. And it's type of thyroidism. Oftentimes, it's later stage Hashimoto's um, that's in the hypo phase that doctors are not diagnosing because they're not doing the right test. They're not doing a granular, detailed analysis of the thyroid, including peripheral thyroid metabolism. So they're not testing all the hormones. They're not looking at it the right way. They're just doing a TSH test, and, and they're saying you're fine. And that's a real common thing because that's also predominantly a female or a woman's disorder. It could happen in a male, but it's much more 
rare. The second great masquerader is actual people who have truly muscle problems. They have what we call myofascial pain syndrome or myofascial trigger points. They have these tight knots in the muscles. They have a lot of stressful, uh, uh, stress-related tension in the muscles. They have other musculoskeletal conditions um, that are really should be treated by a physical medicine provider, a chiropractor, a physiatrist, a physical therapist, a body worker, because fibromyalgia, in its, the true fibromyalgia, is not a muscle problem at all. You only feel pain in the muscles, but the problem is not in the muscles. The problem is in the brain. So the therapy directed at the muscles doesn't work. And then the third big masquerader is a little bit more complicated, but it's really a metabolic biochemical problem where these powerhouses or energy-producing elements of your cells called the mitochondria are not working very well. They're not making energy or what we call ATP proficiently, which will make you tired, will make you not be able to think straight, it'll make you achy in the muscles, and it'll cause all kinds of different problems that'll get you diagnosed with fibromyalgia very quickly. So you need to have a really good functional integrated medicine provider that understands all these metabolic sort of subtleties, understands subtle thyroid issues, and can really put this all together and find out what really is your problem because then we know how to treat it. Hmm. There's a flower field moment. <laughs> yeah. Woo. That was a lot. Okay. Woo. I mean, what it comes down to is if your problem is a thyroid problem, but somebody is calling it fibromyalgia and putting you on Lyrica, you're taking Lyrica, which is an antidepressant, which is not going to fix your thyroid, but it's probably going right. to make you even more spacey, have more brain right. fog, be more tired, be more numb, and you're not going to get any better, and that's not a surprise you're not. Where if your problem is a musculoskeletal problem, you have issues physically in the muscles and the fascia, if you're put on Lyrica, that's not going to help you either. But conversely, if you see a chiropractor or a physiatrist or a physical therapist, and they say, you know, you have fibromyalgia, and they treat it with their physical kind of approaches, it's not going to work if you really have fibromyalgia because it's not a physical problem. It's a central nervous system perceptual problem where if they do get you better, it's likely that you didn't have fibromyalgia to begin with. You had a structural physical problem in the muscles themselves. So there's just so much mass confusion out there. Even healthcare providers, they're saying they fixed fibromyalgia when they didn't because they fixed something else, but they miscalled it fibromyalgia. Um, right. or they really have a patient with fibromyalgia and they apply a treatment that's not going to help them. So it's, it's sad, but it's a really crazy Wild West kind of scenario for the fibromyalgia patient to navigate this because the healthcare providers are, are, are clueless about this for the most part. So they need to do something like watch the FibroFix Summit or read the FibroFix book to become more, they, if they do that, be more knowledgeable about this disorder than 95% of the healthcare providers they would ever go see. Hmm. Okay, well, since this, we, this is Thyroid Nation Radio, will you tell us a little bit more? I know we, we talked about, um, you talked a little bit about the connection to, to the thyroid, but will you tell us yeah. how thyroid is, is connected? Well, when you look at the symptom profile of something like hypothyroid, it basically, everyone knows you could be cold all the time, but tiredness. Fatigue is a major one because your metabolic engines are running slow. All your metabolism is slow. But in addition to being tired, being cold all the time, having dry skin, dry hair, you get a lot of gastrointestinal vague complaints that are often diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome, things like gassiness, bloating, particularly after meals, constipation, because your bowel motility is slow because your thyroid is slow. And then you don't really think very clearly. You have what they sometimes in fibromyalgia call fibrofog, but it's just non-clarity of thought. It's sort of fogginess of thought. That's common in fibromyalgia because your metabolism is slow and you're not making enough energy and ATP for your brain to be able to make good, quick decisions. And then finally, one of the major symptoms of fibromyalgia that most doctors forget about if they ever learned it 
is muscle ache and even joint ache can happen as well. But there's something called hypothyroid or endocrine myopathy or myalgia, meaning pain in the muscles. So mm-hmm. if you combine all of those symptoms, which are essentially the symptoms of fibromyalgia, but for a different reason, and you combine the fact that both disorders, fibromyalgia and hypothyroidism, both occur primarily in women and much more common in women as they reach middle age, then you can understand why there's such a confusion point between the two diagnoses if you don't look adequately enough at the thyroid to determine that the problem is actually the thyroid, not fibromyalgia. Well, and oftentimes there's so many things that affect you know, uh, that affect the thyroid. You know, there's, like you said, there's so many things that have to be ruled out. For me, it was, you know, Epstein-Barr, and unfortunately I had the Hashimoto's at the same time, and so it was kind of like this this whole series of networking things. Well, let me, you know, let me where stop I had you there. You didn't have vitamin Epstein-Barr D deficiency virus. and all these things. I'm sorry, what was yeah, that? Well, you didn't, you didn't have Epstein-Barr virus and, and Hashimoto's at the same time. You had Hashimoto's probably because you had Epstein-Barr virus. Because of it's, Right. It's one of the most common molecular mimicry pathogens that cause your immune system to attack your thyroid when it's really trying to attack this ongoing self-infection with Epstein-Barr virus or cytomegalovirus or HSV or overgrowth of a bacteria in your gut like yersinia. There's lots of or consumption of foods that have a similar protein structure to the TSH receptor like gluten or gliadin and sealgrass grains. There's a lot of different triggers of autoimmune responses against thyroid, which ultimately take down the thyroid. Um, So it's not even as if you had them at the same time. You had them because they're part parcel of the same. Like a cascade, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and vitamin D. I my vitamin D when I was diagnosed was 13, and you know for me that was um, an enormous helper in in the chronic pain. You know. It's, uh, yeah, well, vitamin D is an immune regulator, and it also uh, has a lot to do with your perception of pain because with inadequate vitamin D levels, you actually cannot produce enough serotonin from the precursor of serotonin, which is 5-hydroxytryptophan. Without vitamin D, your serotonin is low, which is going to cause increased pain perception, uh, but it's also going to cause things like depression, sleep disturbance, um, anxiety, slow bowels, Serotonin is a major neurotransmitter um, that is really involved in a lot of things that, if it goes wrong, can cause a picture of fibromyalgia. And, in fact, serotonin is a major player um, as an aberrant neurotransmitter in true classic fibromyalgia as well. So it all connects. Wow. It all connects. So let's let's jump into the GI system because you've mentioned, you've talked about the relationship with that. We all know that that's part of Hashimoto's and, of course, I'm assuming part of fibromyalgia as well. What would you say is your favorite testing? Is there any new testing? I mean, the GI system is something that a regular medical doctor looks at you like, you know, you've lost your mind. And <laughs> so can you tell us from a functional perspective, from an integrative physician, what is your favorite uh, testing for, for gut dysbiosis and, and problems in the GI system? Well, looking at the GI tract and the state of the microbiota or the bugs that live there and the balance is paramount whenever we're looking at any autoimmune condition because most autoimmune disease is, in fact, triggered through the, through the gut and the microbes that live there and how they dance with your immune system uh, and presence of hyperpermeability or leaky gut is a major factor to consider. And um, as far as what tests I like, well, I'm a bit biased. I've been involved in the clinical laboratory industry for many years as a test developer and consultant, and I've helped develop a multitude of tests related to gut health. But the most cutting-edge one, the most, you know, emerging newest technology one is a test I did help develop uh, at the, in the incubator at the molecular biology department at Georgia Tech. Um, and it's called the GI map because it essentially maps the GI microbiota, the, the bugs that live there, the, the good ones, the overtly bad ones, which we call pathogens 
and the opportunistic ones, the ones that if they overgrow can cause problems, such as, like I mentioned before, Yersinia, which if you have an overgrowth of Yersinia enterocolitica in the gut, it has proteins on it that look like TSH receptors on the thyroid. So when your immune system makes antibodies to fight this Yersinia organism in the gut, they bind inadvertently to the TSH receptors, and they tell your immune system that your thyroid is not you and to attack it and to destroy it. And that sets the stage for a Hashimoto's or, or a Graves or an autoimmune thyroiditis. So we test um, the bugs essentially with this GI map, and it uses what we refer to as a molecular technology, meaning it's looking for the DNA or the genetic material or the genetic signatures of all of these different organisms. And this includes bacteria, it includes fungi, it includes viruses, it includes protozoa, which are technically parasites. And we do this test. It's a very easy one-time collection, uh, and it really lets us know what is the state of your intestinal health, what do we need to do to improve it, do we need to eradicate any bugs, do we need to augment some of the beneficial flora, do we, are there signs in the chemistry on the stool analysis that there is inflammation in the gut lining and that there's leaky gut. So the test is called the GI map and it's from Diagnostic Solutions Laboratories. If people want to learn more, they can just go to Diagnostic Solutions Lab.com and they can learn more about that test. There's a whole white paper, there's um, some information about it. And they can share that with their healthcare provider if they want to get it ordered. The healthcare provider can certainly go ahead and order it. Oh, very so cool. this is a test that people can't order themselves. It's a test that needs to go through uh, a proper channels. Yeah, it needs to go through a healthcare provider to order it. Yep. But the, the patient can okay. share the information with the healthcare provider on where to order it. It's a, it's a simple process to do. Um, and uh, they do bill insurance plans for it and so forth. But it, uh, even if it needs to be uh, paid for cash, it's not an exceedingly expensive test. Well, how much is it? Uh, <laughs> if you have insurance that are, that's being billed, the patient price is $179. If you, there's no insurance at all and you're paying uh, for the test, the patient prepaid discount price, I think, is somewhere in a neighborhood of $350 to get the whole GI system mapped. Well, that's not bad okay. either way, to be honest. I mean, a oh. lot of those, nope. a lot of the gut not testing the is not covered by insurance. Yeah. yeah, that's that's certainly worth that, you know, significantly. Yep. Oh, all right. So let's talk. We've heard you talk about hygiene hypothesis and how it relates to autoimmune disease. N- never heard that before. So can you help explain that uh, to to both me and Dana and the listeners? Yeah, the hygiene hypothesis is. Uh, a pretty easy thing when it comes down to it uh, conceptually. Um, This is the understanding and the idea that one of the reasons for our current autoimmune disease epidemic uh, and our allergy and aptitude and uh, why our kids, you know, you can't walk through an elementary school today without seeing the signs, you know, peanut allergy here and shellfish allergy here, uh, why they all have hay fever, why they have asthma, Um, why they have PANS and PANDAS and all these different disorders is because we've essentially made our society in modern Western countries too clean, particularly when um, our kids are young and their immune system is learning how to deal with their environment. Um, You know, kids, when you go back into our ancestors, you know, they weren't showering every day. They were they were in the dirt. They picked their food. They dug up tubers and roots and things out of the dirt and ate them. They didn't wash them with uh, antimicrobial soap. Um, and kids were exposed to a lot more stuff when they were growing up. Now, there's a downside to that if we're talking about, you know, uh, them being exposed to, you know, uh, drinking out of the stream when the village upstream, you know, uh, was defecating it, right? I mean, that, and that's not what we're talking about, but the fact that we're living in these semi, you know, sterile houses and, and the kids are, are crawling around on off-gassing carpets and stuff like that, and mothers are afraid to let them play in the dirt or, or get dirty, and they're always scrubbing them with 
antimicrobial this and that and hand sanitizer, it's created a lot of problems, a big imbalance because... Big problems, huh? Sooner or later, that person's immune system is going to encounter bacteria, viruses, antigens in their food, and they're not going to know how to deal with them. They're no longer... Our kids no longer understand at the immune system level how to discriminate these things between something that is them and not them, or if it's not them and they understand that, something that's a threat and something that should be tolerated or lived with, if you will. And one of the things that's really tilted the immune system is a lot of our modern hygiene, you know, with chlorination of water, the use of antibiotics, and all of these things, and lack of exposure to the environment, is that we've really changed the gut ecology and the microbiota in the gut, particularly with antibiotics. But we've also eradicated to a large a lot of the parasites that used to live within us, including a class of organisms known as helminths, which are actually worms. Um, you know, we used to be infested with worms, and a lot of the, not all the worms were bad. Some of them were symbiotes with us. They did stuff for us. We did stuff for them. But they changed our immune system and the way it behaves because in order to survive, they actually secreted chemicals and compounds that upregulated our immune re- that I'm sorry, downregulated our immune response in the gut so that they wouldn't be killed. In a response to that, evolutionarily, we would upregulate our response and we found this sort of happy space, this happy medium where the the gut is, the gut's immune system, which sets the pace for the overall body's immune system, found a harmonious place. However, when we very suddenly in the last 50 or 100 years with our Western hygiene and medications and lifestyle essentially eradicated a lot of these organisms like helminths, it left the human immune system in a very imbalanced place where it was too aggressively set because it didn't have the suppressive effect of these helminths. Um, And you started seeing the emergence of a lot of autoimmune disease and a lot of these atopic disorders in children like asthma, reactive airway disease, uh, dermatitis, um, things such as that, food allergies. And, um, you know, this has been studied in many, many models in the third world or the underdeveloped world versus the Western world. And actually, there are drugs in development in the U.S. and actually approved already in Europe, which are basically helminths. They're porcine whipworms or pig-based um, worms uh, or larvae that are given to people with inflammatory bowel diseases like ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. And when they mm-hmm. actually set up in the intestines, can actually eradicate those disorders. So it's really a, a fascinating concept that by being so overly clean and overly phobic about germs, we've actually created a whole different class of diseases and disorders that we're suffering from. Wow, that was and a great is, explanation. And and, and it that was, was it's exactly right. And it's it's scary too. Um you know, I mean you, I look at everything differently. Like, you know, of course my family thinks I'm crazy because I'm always, you know, saying we can't do this and can't do that. And well let's balance, let's try to do this instead of this. And um, we just moved into a rental house, and we had the um, guy come out and look at the furnace, which is strange because I was living in Costa Rica for eight years, and we didn't have any air conditioning or furnace or anything like that. So I'm like, oh, okay, so I have to come out and check it. And he starts, he says he's going to clean it, right? And I hear this machine down there and all this stuff, and he's bringing all these, like, you know, boxes and bags full of stuff. And I'm thinking, I look over at Travis, and he's like, don't even say it. <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm like thinking, what is he using down there? to clean this furnace because, I mean, it's going to be in the airways and stuff. Surely he's like, it's an air compressor bay. I'm like, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> because we have to well, be careful. To ask, you know? <laughs> right? Right. Okay. Well, I know you have to go and uh, we're going to wrap this up. I want to, um, I want to kind of leave the, uh, the listeners with, you know, what your thoughts are and, and some ways and tips that you, you help patients with fibromyalgia, some, some great things they can do at home and some things maybe they need to come see you for. Well, um, one of the things I would recommend is if they think they have fibromyalgia or have been told they have fibromyalgia, um, go on to my website, fibrofix, F-I-B-R-O-F-I-X.com, 
Um, there's a lot of resources there to read. There's some videos that they can watch with me being interviewed on it. Um, but ideally, it's worth their time and investment to get the book, Fibrofix, and read it. Because one of the things I do is try to work them through different questions about their experience, about their symptoms. I have them actually fill out questionnaires and do different things to fundamentally first answer the question for them, is it likely that they really have classic fibromyalgia? And if not, what are one of the buckets or the categories of things that are often diagnosed as fibromyalgia erroneously, whether it's hypothyroid, whether it's a musculoskeletal problem, whether it's uh, mitochondrial disorder, whether it's, you know, a myriad of other medical conditions and things, that they can learn more about those things and try to figure out, well, if I don't have classic fibromyalgia, which one of these might I have? And I give pathways to trying to recover from the, all of those different things. But while they're learning this, I actually run them through sort of a 21-day metabolic reset, uh, if you will, that lowers their inflammatory potential, that takes off a lot of auto, like immune-stimulating or innate immune-stimulating food. So we clean up their diet. We give them things to detox them. We sort of run them through this 21-day program. Um, and part of that program is also getting them to actually move again, to get mobility and flexibility back in the body without doing the kinds of exercises or things that make them feel horrible because they're just not capable of exertional type of things. So we have, there's lots of pictures and lots of very step-by-step instructions on how to get moving again while you're doing this metabolic reset or reboot, detox. And then finally, gets them doing things that are very calming to the central nervous system, which are very important. So things like progressive relaxation, things like deep breathing, uh, things where they're calming the mind. So they're dealing with the biochemistry, they're dealing with the psychology, they're dealing with the physical movement while they're determining what might they really have And then I give very specific things that they can try on their own if they have classic fibromyalgia or things they can try on their own if they have one of these other buckets of problems. And I am all along the way giving them information on what they might want to share with their healthcare provider if they have one, what kind of tests they might do. If they don't have a healthcare provider, how to find one who might be able to help them navigate through this. So it's all about self-empowerment, doing as much as you can on your own with a realization that in these complex chronic diseases, often you do need a health coach or a health care provider or physician who can help you navigate this stuff. So I help people find those. And, you know, if they really need, they can come see me. I have patients coming from all over the country and the world to see me in Connecticut And if they want a deeper dive into all these different conditions that are often called fibromyalgia that aren't, and they want to hear from the world experts in all these different things, they can visit FibroFixSummit.com, and they can still get digital access to all of the videos and the the interviews and the resources from the summit. And there there are over 50,000 people on the summit, and the the response was just incredible on it. So uh, it's a under it's a incredible repository of information that's still there. And you can you can link to it either through fibrofix.com or my main website, just drdrdavidbrady.com. Um, and by the way, on drdavidbrady.com in the media tab, there are all kinds of writings of mine on thyroid disorders and hypothyroidism and how to determine oh, that wonderful. and manage that. So those are just some resources uh, for listeners if they choose. Those are amazing articles. <laughs> they are. We have one of his articles uh, from uh, an excerpt from his book on our site. I'll share that uh, in the group as well. And um, the FibroFix sounds like you you took it and went with it, and uh, it's got everything in it that people and covered need. everything. So would, That's like a must. Covered, covered everything. Thought of everything. Yeah, it's over 20, 20 years of uh, culminated experience in practice and research and academia. Wow. Uh, and so forth. So I, I hope, um, you know, it's helpful to people because that's, that's truly why I did it. Awesome. Plus it has pictures. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, and the mo- the models so for all the exercises and all of that in there, I must say, is my is my lovely and beautiful wife Stacy. So she was a professional. Oh, she is beautiful. Yeah, and uh, what's nice is um, you know you can't get a, a model that um, that capable and that pretty to do your book pictures, and you can't get one that works any cheaper than if it's your wife, you know. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> Pictures and uh, she's she's a babe too. That's just, that's fantastic. Well, tell her we are you know we're we're glad she took great for the team. We can't wait to see it. Right, we're grateful. Um, Thank you so you much. Go, so. You go and do your your good work today. And this has been fun yes, and, go and get very them, informative. And great. Yeah. Well, thank you totally. so much for the opportunity. Thank you. Okay. Thank we'll you talk soon. For everything that you do. Okay. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again. Mm-hmm. We need, oh, like, a series of shows with him. Oh, cool. <laughs> I know, so cool. right? <laughs> uh, I know. We need to have a whole series, a whole series with him. Right? Right? Yeah, he was Okay, amazing. as always, yeah. a very big thank you to you guys, our listeners. Um, you know, and if you enjoy the shows, we'd love a little review on iTunes. If you don't mind, just check it out. Go in there and put, plop your review down. We read them all. Absolutely. Also, be sure to check out Thyroid Nation Essentials at thyroidnation.com. Wonderful gifts for not only your, your hypothyroid uh, and thyroid-suffering friends and family, but also for people who are not. They're just wonderful, good-smelling, helping to sleep and just cognition. Yeah, and i got to place my... My order today because you, you're I, gonna um, get a brain awake. She gave away I, her brain awake. I, I will send you. <laughs> I know, you and I gave it, away. I gave. I know. I gave away my a whole set of things to Isabella Wentz when I saw her this <laughs> summer, and then I had to get a. I had to get a refill. I got a refill, and I just gave some things away again. So maybe I should oh, have no. a few stocked up. What do you think? You did not. You were too much. So make sure to check it out and uh, Thyroid Nation Essentials at ThyroidNation.com. And check out our Facebook group and follow us on all the social media networks you want. We are everywhere. (laughs) Uh, Of course, Dana and I, most importantly, always want to remind you that wellness is a journey and takes continual maintenance and evaluation, especially the cold. Be aware that that will make the thyroid... Uh, a little bit more sluggish than normal, but always make sure to listen to your own body and be mindful of what it is telling you from food to lifestyle to everything. All of that affects us, um, and we need to address it. Take an accounting. Yes, we do. And I have a side note really quick um, based on some things we were talking about on the show today and the friend, my friend that we were talking about. You know, you understand as a patient, Tiffany, and I understand as a patient, you know, I could see her, you know, sitting in front of me thinking, like, uh, where do I start? And I, I'm busy. Right. It's overwhelming. And, like, I have kids. It is overwhelming. And, yeah. and all of a sudden you're telling me I have to learn? Like, okay, that's just too much. Like, I, you, I'm, okay, back to the give me well, a pill sometimes thing. people like, are too I, exhausted, right? I mean. Well, just, exactly, right? And so yeah, how do right. they even, and, you know, so I can totally see. And, and we've, so we've got to help spread the message, which is what we're trying to do. So thank you, guys. Uh, this is Dana, your Thyroid Nation Green Gatika from Colorado Springs. <laughs> and Tiffany Milanich of Grateful Garden. Bringing the collective voice of thyroid thrivers worldwide so that together, united we heal. Bye, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. We are thankful for you Happy listening. Thank you very much. Happy we Thanksgiving. So <laughs> All right, honey. Have a wonderful day.